This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the composer for Avatar The Way of Water, Simon Franklin. I know one thing. Wherever we go, this family is our fortress. Simon, thank you so much for for taking time to talk with me. Been a big few weeks for Avatar. I think I checked this morning. I think it's the seventh biggest movie of all time, and of course, still climbing, obviously. So, yeah, how, how's how's it been since release? Just kind of celebrating this uh, this incredible success. Uh, I think the word, uh, single word, I'd use is relief. I think I think I think it's this strange situation where you go into work, you know, something is very special. You know, I, I was because I would see scenes like. Like, for instance, the, when the kids first dive into the water and you go and I, uh, you know, we don't get to see, you know, we gradually the renders come through. So we see better and better qualities because we're working. But that was one of the early renders. We got to see that in 3D in maybe March. And it's astonishing. And you sit there just going. And I still felt that way when I saw the premiere. You know, and I think that for and I that was what I my hope was that. Given how I felt about it, I thought that I cannot be the only person who feels this way. Um, so I'm very, very pleased by the response. But really, I'm just relieved that the work actually has paid off. Absolutely. Well, the obvious starting point for a conversation about this work is, is of course, the late James Horner. You two worked together for, for years, worked together on the first Avatar. Before he passed, had he started any, you know, any initial concepts for this second movie? No, not at all. Um, he died in 2015, and I I was uh, producing the score for the theme park at that point. Uh, he'd written um, uh, some work. He'd done some work on the the ride, which is called the Navi River Journey. Um, but that was pretty well all he'd done on that, and there'd been no discussion of us starting in. We we knew we were going to be doing them, um, but you know, for instance, my original. Uh, I was originally asked if I wanted to hold 2013 for Avatar 2. So, <laughs> no, no, there was no work. And so when Jim asked me to look at the scripts in December 2017, uh, this was the first time anything was, uh, you know, discussed musically. Well, tell me about that process of, of when you first started to to really work on this project. What was it like using James's themes from the first film as a jumping off point, but also um, expanding upon it and, and building on it? Well, that was an important part. Jim and I talked about this at length. The idea that this is a canon of films, you know, that, and therefore has to be a canon of themes. 
Um, and what he felt was that there was like one theme from Avatar 1 that really resonated with him, which is the one that we use, I use a lot um, for when, you know, like I'll use, I, I use it as a leitmotif, you know, like maybe only a few seconds here or a clip, that, that, but it's the Jake and Neytiri fly, it's what we call the ICU theme. Um, and I use that um, for Jake and Neytiri, but I use it in a couple of ways. I use it in the first uh, there's a thing called date night where i use it in its most overt fashion but then i would use maybe like three seconds of it in some of the battles because it's it was something that worked really well in in some ways as to show the her heroism of the pair of them when they work together um but apart from that what jim said to me was that he felt that the avatar one score hadn't been thematic enough and now he didn't mean there weren't great themes and there were there's some fabulous themes in avatar one it's that there tended to be like a use of them once or here, you know, there would be something and you'd use it here and, but it wouldn't get repeated. And there was a lot of that. And he felt like there needed to be a more coherent structure, which is a more, I'll use the word leitmotif like, but something where there were themes connected with people or places or rather than just general avatar vibe themes. Mm. Um, and so we talked about that and that became a, the that was an important touchstone for me in terms of how i had to approach the score yeah and obviously themes for places is a huge thing this this film takes place in a new part of the planet a new world essentially you know where did you kind of get started for developing the sound of the Makaina people i had been responsible for the sound of the omatakaya should we say the forest that sound of the glowing forest, the gamelan, the percussion, all of that was my area. I did the stuff that was non-orchestral in Avatar 1. And so I, that was already something that I had in place. Um, with Avatar 2, it felt like the Mekaina were, a, we decided they were, a, I wish to use the word simpler tribe, but they're, um, they're, they, they are yeah i think they're they're play you know the the sea it provides a different sort of um place for them to work and to live and i remembered some of the work i've done with uh nomadic tribes like for instance the mongolians i've worked with mongolians a lot and first of all there's this thing about longer notes uh they when you hear mongolians sing they sing across the steps and and i started to see this in some of the Polynesian singing that you see, which I also, that style I started using, which is longer notes and a, a, a thing rather than this rather attacky sound that, of, of, that we'd use in Avatar 1 vocally. So the vocal sound had to change. And I started looking, uh, I was in New Zealand, so I was able to get a choir of South Pacific Island Polynesian singers together. Now a choir, a group of those, I think we ended up with five who I thought were stupendous. And that became my starting point for the vocal sound because Avatar has such a vocal approach to the to, to the music that that but I needed to evolve that from where we were with the aggressive edgy sound of A1. It needed to have the slightly small pastoral, softer, and more Polynesian sound for two. And then I made a choice to move all of the rhythm and all of those sort of percussive sounds and the sort of glowing thing that were gamelan bells and all this that became bamboo percussion anklungs it became clay pots 
Uh, and I worked with a guy called Chuck Jonke here in Los Angeles, and I obviously assembled a whole lot of stuff myself, and we created a whole library of this sort of material, and he made some unique instruments for me for this score. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I, I, I heard that you, you made Pandoran musical instruments for this. Is that right? Yeah, we've got some things. Now, it's not all of these ended up in, in fact, none of them ended up in this film, but they were meant to. But I hope they're going to end up in three. We actually had a situation where I was asked, well, they said, you know, obviously you've got a nine foot tall, 10 foot tall blue alien with three fingers and they're long fingers. So why on earth would they play instruments that look like Western instruments? You know, and I don't mean Westernism, but like earth instruments. Um, and so I started thinking about this and there were some particular scenes that are some that are in two and some in three where I needed to design these things. And I realized that, you know, you looked at the physiology of the Navi and I'd started designing instruments for them based on this, based on things I'd seen on Earth and particular instruments. There's a, um, and so I would design them, I would draw them, and I would scope them out. And then this is the, the so that was fine. I think, great, okay, brilliant. Then I give it to the props guy, and he said, well, actually, you know, they give it to, um, to Dylan Cole, who's the lead production designer. So I give it to Dylan Cantol, who then draws this exquisite, beautiful version of this and then they hand it over to the props man who 3d prints the instrument and so we have 3d printed versions of all these navi instruments that are completely unique and i will be stealing them after avatar 5 they're going on my wall are any of them functional like can oh yeah, you... yeah no no that's the whole point this is what we do on avatar right when you see, for instance, the kids walking through the Metcalfe village and you see there's Took, she's bouncing up and down on like a, a, this sort of netting that they have going between the different, uh, different living areas. That netting, I saw them do four different versions in real, in real time, like in real world, netting them with different knots and, and then hanging them so that Jim could see which of them looked and felt best. And then having the actors do the bounce, the bounce was there because Took was doing that on real thing. We do, this is what we do in Avatar. You don't just make stuff up. Uh, he, Jim doesn't use the word stuff, but um, it, it's, uh, everything has to have a reason and therefore my instruments had to be playable. Wow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And did any of those sounds from those instruments oh, yeah, yeah. make I've it into this those... final? Oh, yes, they did. And and also, um, uh, and you will, I'm almost certain that you will see them in three because there's two particular scenes I'm thinking of where I, uh, unless the world like moves slightly, they're in there. Wow. Um, and, uh, but no, you did hear the samples because one of the things I did, I did take samples of these. And you hear them um, in places there. Um, so, yep. Wow. 
Uh, are they string instruments, wind instruments, both? Like what, what or something got, entirely different? Uh, there is um, two stringed instruments. There were there is one wind instrument. No, maybe two wind instruments and some percussion that we de developed more like along the idea of. Um, I worked on a, a, a variation of what a, there's a thing called an udu. And I worked on a thing with an udu and an ocarina. I created something where you could create, you could cut the holes in the udu. And by using the, your fingers, you could effectively change the pitch of the udu by, by, and if you have fingers that are this long, you wow. can do more things anyway so that was the sort of thing that's the yes it, it got it got i got in the weeds that's awesome yeah. yeah that's fascinating not just with the creation of new instruments but but with your score in general what's your experimentation process look like are there are there many times where you're kind of heading in one direction for a while and really building something out and then you're like ah this isn't working and you scrap the whole thing or or do you really have a good vision of where you're going when you start I wrote the cue called Piacan 11 times before I showed it to Jim. Hmm. So because every time I go, yeah, this is great. And then I come back and go, nah, and, and so on. And in that case, he said to me, he loved it on the first listen. He just went, this is right. Hmm. And, but that took me 11 times of me throwing away things that were i thought were absolutely glorious that 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 um we were all sitting there going this is you know gaspingly brilliant and then i looked at it and went no nah. and, and it didn't and it was also the picture tells you whether you're doing work whether you're writing right um and then there are times obviously then jim says nah so for instance the um the skewkal darkness to light which is when Jake and, uh, you know, when the family is swimming out to the surface, um, there was a very specific brief from Jim. He said, we have to have everybody crying in the cinema at this point. And if we don't have them crying the whole way through, we haven't done our job. And um, I did the first one and he said, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Two weeks later. Nah. And I did that. The third one I came, I said, okay. He came and listened to it and within five seconds he was in tears because he's a really emotional guy and he stayed in tears all the way to the end and i said okay so but he said yeah okay kid <laughs> <laughs> this is in the movie um it's um uh that and th so that is the the process is is iterative i mean i wrote and finished five hours of film school and, and what i mean is that i actually have finished film school because part of this was also that we were suffering from running up against the clock and that meant that often i would record write and record things just because i had to get something done um, and then we'd make changes and then i have to re-record it because the picture had been edited and therefore picture edits sometimes if you're lucky your piece of music that used to go abc now goes is now going CAB. Now CAB may not be as good. Mm. Therefore, sometimes you can edit it and get away with it. And sometimes you have to re-record. And, and with a film like Avatar, there's 
it's almost wall-to-wall music. Uh, there is very little breathing room. How do you find the right pacing there when there's when there's very few moments without any score underneath it? He did give me six or seven minutes off. <laughs> well, that's generous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which I, I, I look at that as a blessing. No, um, there is close to three hours of score, and when you add the songs, that's you know it, it's pretty as you said, it's pretty well wall-to-wall. I was lucky that I did my apprenticeships under James Horner, um, Howard Shaw, Alan Silvestri, John Barry. And so for years I'd been working on this sort of stuff. And if you take, especially with James Horner and Alan Silvestri in particular, their use of tempo is, uh, um, is essential to their writing. Um, and I don't come from the school of the straight ostinato that just weighs across something. That's never been the way that I work um, because that's not the sort of scores I particularly enjoy. Um, it tends to be, for me, I like the idea that the music is reflecting the picture. And you have to reflect the tempo of the picture because that's, that's the most important thing is that, that, in fact, that's the very first thing I do is I find my internal heart, my internal beat, where my, where I feel like, you know, where I'm starting now. And it may not be that I'm at the piano, by the way, it may be the, also the enormous rainstorm that you're hearing in the background. In case you're wondering, there is a stupendous, we've had five inches of rain yesterday and I don't know how many inches we will have today. Um, so the first thing I do is find that internal heartbeat for the section um and then you work from there um and i like to write longer cues although jim i think in this case we we chopped him up a bit more than we did on a1 but i still provide things like the talcoon hunt my original version before the picture got edited was close to seven minutes as a single cue and uh, I like that idea of the evolution, even of action cues, whether they flow and they go from one place to another. Well, Simon, I, I know you've signed on for the sequels as well. They're already in various stages of production. Did you delve into those scripts while working on this one in order to, to really inform uh, how some of these musical themes would evolve in future installments? Uh, that was the very first thing he made me do was read all four scripts. So I read from two to five um, in December 2017 and early 2018. He said, you need to know where the destination is for you to start. And the very start says, uh, Neytiri sings the song called the very first paragraph. And so I had to, that, so for me to understand the journey um, for the characters and for everything else, because A1 is really about discovering Pandora and discovering Jake and Neytiri and obviously Quaritch. You know, we're, we're discovering, we're, we're, we're learning about the characters in the place, but from two onwards, we're now into story, into the character driven story that takes us on a journey for the family. And I think that shows that's a different thing. Um, so, yep, there, I, I've uh, already started working on stuff for three. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Um, do you mind sharing everything that happens in the next sequels uh, while you're here? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that, the, the, that everybody will be completely happy with me. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. We'll talk offline. 
<laughs> I loved your score. Love the film. Thanks so much for your work. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the composer for Avatar The Way of Water, Simon Franklin, here on The Next Best Picture Podcast. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?